Amen. How awesome was that? And that's so sweet. Kids say the darndest things. They do, don't they? I love seeing our kids uh, just share so genuinely about their dads. Uh, I think one of those said, I love how he, what is he good at? He's good at going and getting money. <laughs> I wonder how that dad feels about that. He's probably like, I'm trying, I'm trying harder. Anyway, I thought that was amusing. So uh, yeah, so happy Father's Day, y'all. So thankful for each and every father in the room. And more than anything, I'm thankful for this community. Uh, Frankly, I, I'm, I'm thankful for this community because more than any other community I've ever experienced in my entire life, I can be me here. I don't feel like I have to put on a front. I don't feel like I have to be someone else. I don't feel like I have to perform. I feel like I can, I can be me. I can be who I am. And that's a gift. Did you know that? That's a gift to me. And I pray you feel the same. And that's a little bit of what I want to talk about today. So uh, I don't know if you are aware, but we've been this year in a series in the book of Ephesians. And our prayer, our collective prayer in this series and our kind of vision for this year is, Lord, make us one with you and one with one another so that the world would know who you are. And that prayer comes out of John 17. And we started in the book of Ephesians and we went through and the first part was all about our identity as followers of Jesus. And we actually took six weeks to kind of pause and go through this identity practice. If, if y'all remember those little bookmarks we gave out to really let those truths sink deep for us and so that we didn't just gloss over all these amazing truths, but actually take time to let them soak in. And now we've moved into a section in Ephesians where we're talking about who we are called to be together as the body of Christ. So we're talking about how God has made us uh, and is making us one so that the world may know who he is. So we have, a, we have individual identities in Christ, but we also have a collective identity as the church, amen? And so last week, Joe walked us through how Christ has destroyed the dividing wall of hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. If you don't know, a Gentile is another word for basically anyone who's not uh, within, counted among the Jewish people. So that would be most of us here, I would imagine. And so he, he talks, so Joe walked us through how Christ has destroyed the dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles. And so he's, instead of just taking the Gentiles and bringing them into, into, the, uh, into the Jewish race, into the Jewish people, he's brought them in and he's creating, it says in the scriptures, one new humanity. So we have this big bucket that God says, all right, I've created one new humanity by destroying that which divided Jew and Gentile. And I've made a way for Gentiles now to come into the kingdom of God. Isn't that good news? Yeah. Amen. So this week, we're talking about how we're now a new society built on Christ. A new society built on Christ. And now remember, Paul is speaking to the Ephesian Christians. So they're all Gentiles. He's reminding them of who they are now that this dividing wall of hostility has been destroyed between Jew and Gentile. And so who are they now in one humanity in Christ? So let's go to our passage and let's read it. Ephesians 2, verse 18 through 22. If you don't have a Bible, there should be some in the little uh, baskets underneath the seat in front of you. Uh, feel free to use that. If you don't have a Bible at home, you can take that home with you as well. So Ephesians 2 verse 18 through 22 says this, for through him, that's Jesus, 
We both have access to the Father by one spirit. So Paul summarizing everything he just said, he says, so for through Jesus, we both, Jew and Gentile, have access to the Father by the one Holy Spirit, Spirit of God. Chapter or verse 19, consequently, or therefore, because of this, because we both have access to the Father by one spirit, you are no longer foreigners and strangers but you are fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building, he moves into this metaphor about a building. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, Jesus, you too are being built together you Gentiles are being built together to become a dwelling into, in which God lives by his spirit. So he's speaking to the Ephesians and he says, you're no longer foreigners. You're no, you're no longer a tourist. You're now a local. He's speaking to the Ephesians. He says, you're no longer uh, outside. You're no longer a stranger, but you're now in the family, in the household of God. Like, God's bringing them in. And what's, what's amazing to me about this is think about for the Ephesians what a radical shift this was. For the Ephesians, before they were, they were, um, before they were foreigners, it says in the scriptures, it says they were foreigners. You, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but now you're fellow citizens with God's people. Before they were citizens of Rome, and that came with a whole different set of values and what was important and now they're citizens of God's people, of God's kingdom. I mean, uh, uh, imagine trying to come from that. It's, it's a little bit hard in America because we come from this post-Christian culture where like morals are kind of baked in a little bit, but imagine if you're in a Roman society and the values are completely different and you're, you come across and all of a sudden now you're a citizen in the kingdom of heaven. And then also you're no longer a stranger, but you're part of this household. I mean, Paul uses these three images of a citizen and of a member of God's family and of God's temple, I believe because in biblical times, this is where your identity lies. Think about the genealogies in the scripture where it's like, this guy was son of this guy and son of this guy and they all dwelt in the land of Canaan or wherever it is. It was like, that was how you were identified, but it was by your family and where you dwelt or where you were from and then also by what God you worshiped and served. And so Paul here is saying, everything for you has changed. You have an entirely new collective identity. Yes, individual as well, but an entirely new collective identity. And he does it in like this funnel shape, getting down to the, to the, um, to the root of who they are. He starts with one new humanity, like Joe shared about. Like these people you hated, you're now one with them. And then he goes to citizens in the new kingdom. You thought you were a Roman and that identity was so important to you. Now your most important identity is as a citizen of God's kingdom. And you thought your history defines you and that you're a member, but now you're a member of God's forever family. And he keeps going and he says, a holy temple, a dwelling place for God. You were used to going to a temple to experience the divine. Well, now you're actually a part of the temple and God dwells with you and among your people group. Isn't that amazing? Like he's got, he's got this funnel going down to the deepest identity, not just of them again individually, but as them as a people. And I, when I think about this though, um, I'm getting a call. Sorry. 
uh, comes up on your, on your computer. <laughs> one of the things that I, one of the things this morning that happened as I came here to church was, I came here and fr- frankly, just being vulnerable myself with you, I felt a little heavy. I think part of it was because I labored with this message. I didn't know exactly how to, what to do with it. And I think the biggest thing for me that I kind of realized a friend of mine came up to me and said, hey, you, you seem a little heavy this morning. And I was like, oh, you can't hide from people that know you. It's like, you know, you can't, you can't just have a, a facade up. People can get past it. And I needed that. And I just opened up to him and shared a little bit. And one of the things that's so refreshing about being yourself and being honest and vulnerable is that usually as soon as you do, whatever's blocking you, whatever's kind of stopping you, whatever heaviness you feel just lifts. Have you ever had that experience? How did I come by that experience though? How how did that relationship that called me out happen? It happened through commitment. It happened through being here for the last 12 years, 13 years. It's happened through vulnerability in life group. It's happened through opening myself up on a Sunday morning in front of hundreds of people. It, it, it's, it's happened through all these different avenues and places in my life. It's happened through trying to live up my faith in our neighborhood and in my daughter's school. It's happened through all these different pieces of my identity as a follower of Jesus, but not just me personally, my collective identity. And so often, I think in America, frankly, I sometimes wanna ask myself that question is, how am I doing in these areas? Like, I'm a citizen of heaven, but I'm also a citizen of the United States, and that comes with rights and privileges and other things and allegiances. Like, I'm, 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 a, I'm a family member of God's divine family, but, you know, I'm also a family of the Tapey household and of my family of origin. What does that mean? And all the baggage that comes there. <laughs> and if you're my family listening to this online, it's okay that we have baggage. It's all right. That's part of the process of being free. So it's like we have all these things, but sometimes I want to really review my heart and go, how am I doing in these areas? Am I really living like a citizen of heaven? Or am I trying to live like a citizen of heaven, but like as an American? with the values that I bring from that identity. We all have these identities that are like pulling onto us and pulling us this way and that way and and trying to force us into one thing or, or another thing. And then we have this identity that God says, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. You've been brought in. This is your identity. This is who you are. This is most fundamental. It, it, it reminds me of a few weeks ago, uh, my family was on vacation with Meredith's family, um, with her extended family, brothers and sisters and stuff. And we were at the pool one day and Lachlan was standing <laughs> by the edge of the pool. Lachlan does not know how to swim. He's learning how to swim uh, slowly, but he's learning. And so he's standing by the edge of the pool and one of his younger cousins, about half his size, so it makes it even worse, comes up and goes, and pushes him in. And poor guy, I mean, the look on his face, it would be the equivalent to any of you if like someone had pushed you off of a cliff of the Grand Canyon. You're like, I'm, I'm dead. You would be like, ah! It was like, you know, hor- like horrified scream. That was what was going on in his little head. And he went in and he was rescued quickly, he's fine. But it just, man, it was the worst experience for him. It was like, it's almost traumatizing on the level of like, how do I go on from this? And uh, last week we were at the pool 
And I just noticed a heightened level of like fear in him. Of like, man, I don't want to engage in this. And oh, daddy, please don't let me, my face go in the water. And so I had to be extra patient with him and extra slow and honestly quell my own desire to be like, come on, bud, toughen up. We got this. Like to, to try to be a dad that pushes him. I had to be patient and realize, man, what did he just go through? He needs some time to get used to this again. But he also needs truth and that he can't just say, I'm never going to swim again, never again. Because there's all this joy and fun that he'd be like checking out on, right? I remember I, I, in college, I did a scuba diving course. I am scuba certified, one of the random facts about me. And I remember when I finally went scuba diving, uh, other than in a pool in Abilene, uh, we got certified and we went to this local spring. It was beautiful, clear water and there's all these turtles in it. I remember I was like swimming around for the first time and it was like, in my head, I had the soundtrack. It was like, it was like the little mermaid. I was like thrilled of this like beautiful, it was just amazing. I, I remember part of it being like, I would not know what this is if I, didn't, if I hadn't learned to swim. And I think sometimes that's how it is for us. Maybe we've been in community and we've been burnt. Like real bad, somebody, somebody, somebody pushed us in. And it's like, man, I've got some wounds from that. I don't know if I can go back into community. I don't know if I can like wade back into those, into those waters and trust again. Or maybe you're like an adept swimmer and you can like Matt and Savannah, <laughs> they've been in life groups and community for years and now it's time that they lead others as they have been doing in community and as they've given their lives to do. Or maybe you're just like, you know, swimming is, to give every, every human credit, swimming is not natural. You learn to walk on two feet. You know, and then you get in the water and you have to like go like this. And it's like, it's very strange. It's this whole new way of learning to live that's different from everything around us. That's a little bit of what the kingdom of God is like because it's so different from the world. It is utterly different. Like God's kingdom for us, church, is not to look like American life just plastered with some God over top. I'm saying that to myself. I'm saying that to myself. I'm so easily wooed into like desire for just nicer things. Like the church is not meant to be like social club Christianity where we get together and we do fun things, but we never really go deep. Like it's meant to be vulnerable, as vulnerable as you can possibly imagine. Like that's God's heart for you. That's God's kingdom for you, church. And I see it in our church, I'm so thankful. And so this morning is not a rebuke, I wanna remind you of the vision that God has for you for your church, for this church, for his church, for you to be a part, for you to step in, for you to commit everything to it, even in the scary moments. Does that make sense? Okay, so I wanna go through just those three things this morning and point some things out as I go. I have an outline. And frankly, I just feel like the Lord wants me just to kind of let it go and just speak from my heart. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to do this morning. And I get emotional because, like I said, this morning I felt kind of gummed up in my spirit. I didn't know why. And I think a big part of it, just being vulnerable and honest, was I, I want my messages to be impactful. I want them to be received well. And as a human man, my heart is so easily tempted by pride by the desire to be seen well, 
by the desire to be thought well of? I mean, there, uh, if any of you struggle with that ever, raise a hand. Everyone in the room should have their hand raised. It's, that is a, a fundamental struggle of human nature is to not want to be worshipped by people, frankly. That's really the end of it. And so I came and I just shared my heart and kind of pridefulness and just feeling this. And as soon as I did, man, God delivered it in part. And, and I wouldn't have had that if I hadn't have really, really pressed into community and what that means. So if our old ways of living and relating to one another won't help us in this new society that God's building, that me as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven and me as a family member in God's divine family, and me as a, as a, as a part of the temple that, that, that hosts the presence of God. If our old ways of living and relating, like Lachlan, learning to swim, if our old ways won't work in this new environment, what do we need? And the scriptures speak to that. We need Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. I wanna share this. Uh, I wanna read that, that piece of our passage again real quick. It says this. For through him, we, have, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but now we have a new identity, fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on what? The foundation of the apostles and prophets, and then Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Um, so Christ, the cornerstone. What's a cornerstone? Some of you may know if you've been around church long enough, but a cornerstone is a large stone used in ancient buildings, in ancient building techniques. So basically it was this giant, if you can um, actually pull up the picture, it may be more helpful first. The next slide. It's this giant stone. So basically from the edge of that wall all the way over to that moss thing growing out of the wall, this is actually the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. That's one stone. It's like 34 feet long, something like that. The biggest one ever found was 38 feet long. Uh, like if you could, it's almost like, uh, if, you're, if you like football, it's like 13 yards. That's a, that's a gigantic stone. And every corner of the building would have these stones overlapped, but there was one stone that would be the chief stone or the primary cornerstone that would be laid. And this stone would basically, everything else, if, if this stone had a, had a level in it, every other stone would have that same slope in it. If this stone was angled this way, every other stone would have that. If this stone was angled the top of it, the building would kind of come to a peak. Everything was based on this stone. And that's what he's saying. It's, it's, he's saying, Paul is saying to us that Jesus Christ is that for us, for the church, for this new model of humanity, that we don't have any other model that can show us how to do life together, how to be citizens of God's kingdom, how to be part of God's divine family. It's that Jesus is the chief cornerstone, that our eyes ought to be set on him at all times. The only way we can live out our calling as this new society which hosts the presence of God and is like this, this new kingdom of God and is this divine family is to be in alignment with and resting upon our Lord and teacher, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Any other foundation will fail us. If we try to bring in any other identity to make it through being a divine family and having close-knit relationships in the church, it's not gonna work. 
If we bring secular psychology in and let that lead us, it won't work. There's sure there's some things to glean from, but it's not Jesus Christ, the man who, the, the, the God man who made you, created you, informed you. Like Jesus is the one that, that aligns everything, every facet, every dimension of our collective life together is meant to be touched and transformed by Jesus, the cornerstone. So first up, I just wanna walk through each of those examples, that we are citizens of God's kingdom, we're members of God's household, and we are a holy temple, a dwelling place for God. I just wanna help us as we walk through these. There is no way that this morning I can go through how Jesus, the cornerstone, is meant to shape and and uh, inform all of our community life together. If I could do that, I would be Jesus, but I can't. So this morning, what I wanna do is just, our kids are learning a memory verse in their class, and I wanna use that verse just as a sampling of one teaching of Jesus that I think radically transforms every area, every one of these areas when we live it out. As like a sample test, almost. Because for us, when we really enter into Jesus and everything that he teaches us, everything that's coming in the book of Ephesians that we are gonna delve into deeply. Man, there is rich teaching that God has for us there, but we're not there yet. And so this morning, I just wanna help us just to get a taste of what it's like to follow Jesus. And y'all know this already, you're walking this out. But again, I wanna remind you and just cast a vision and almost uh, elicit desire in you to follow Jesus once again, to lay everything on him. So we are citizens of God's kingdom. So it says this, but fellow citizens with God's people is how it's listed in verse 19. It says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people. Like we said earlier, we are also citizens of the United States or perhaps another nation. I know Alex DeBrat, I don't think he's here today. He's a dual citizen of Peru. So there's, there's, but we, we are citizens of the country we reside in. We're also members of many other groups. And I think one of the things, you know, the Ephesians, which Paul was speaking to, they had very ingrained political and national identities, probably even more so than today. And that's even hard to believe in our polarized political climate right now. Most of our earthly identities lead us to treat people in a way that's based on the groups that they belong to or how they're different from us or some other earthly status or position. And the problem is, is that those groups that we belong to as earth often don't like it when you're loyal to another kingdom. Like if you follow Jesus in this world, you are not loyal to those other kingdoms, groups, people. There will be a time at which your identity in those groups departs in Christ. I can be a citizen of the United States in many ways, but there are times when my citizenship, sorry, my loyalty is with God and his kingdom. I can be a, a member of this neighborhood that I'm a part of, and that's awesome and great, but when, my identity when this identity is going this direction, my identity in Christ goes another. I'm following Jesus. We have competing identities, and for us, all those belonging to all those groups, they will try to pull us apart from our loyalty and our affections in Christ. But for us, our, our, our duty, our joy is to remain faithful to Jesus. And we often confuse our, temporal, our temporary identities in this life with our, with our eternal identities, right? 
And we, are, we, you know, are we aligned with our national, political, neighborhood, racial, economic, friend groups, all the activities or sports teams we're on, our jobs or careers, all the different things that try to give us some sort of identity more than our true identity, all those things that are vying for our affection. So as citizens of God's kingdom, though, our viewpoint, again, is aligned with Jesus, with our cornerstone. First and foremost, we're saints and citizens of God's kingdom, which requires us to do what Jesus did and to model his behavior. So it's our calling to bear our cross like Jesus, which includes suffering like him as we represent his kingdom to come to a world which really doesn't want a new kingdom. There's this quote by a guy named John Howard Yoder in a book called Radical Christian Discipleship. And he says this, uh, I have a different quote here, but I'm gonna read it up there because I put the right one up there. It says, Jesus' cross was the price to pay for being the kind of person he was in the kind of world he was in. The cross that he chose was the price of his representing a new way of life in a world that did not want a new way of life. That is what he called his followers to do. Like the kingdom of God isn't welcome in the world. There will be pushback. There is already pushback. And for us as, as followers of Jesus, if we don't have one another man to pull together and to band together and to run alongside one another, that's why Jesus made the church, y'all. It's so that we have one another to be family, to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven together, to not do it alone. Does that make sense? We are representing a new form of humanity here. Like this isn't just like, we're not playing games on Sunday. Or just like saying, oh, we want to do this. We want to live in this way. Like, I want to live sold out for God. I want it to affect every part of who I am. I want it to affect my fatherhood. I want it to affect the way I spend my money. I want it to affect every piece of my identity. And so what do we do with this? I mean, if Jesus, if Jesus is our cornerstone, I mean, and we stand upon the apostles and prophets, how does Jesus and the teaching of the apostles and prophets call you to treat those in the world around you? You know, if the world doesn't want this, what are we going to get from the world? Something else. But we're also called to go to that world and to represent a kingdom that's different. And people will see it and go, I want that. Like, what is, what's different about you? I want to be a part of this. You know, how, how do you treat those who differ from you politically? Those who are in a different neighborhood. Those who believe things you'd never subscribe to. Those in your life that are difficult to love. So right now in our kids' elementary, they're learning a memory verse. Is there any elementary child in the room that can do the memory verse? Uh, <laughs> Satara, because if I call my own daughter, it's a little favoritism. So go ahead, Satara. That was awesome. Woo! Awesome. Does anyone else want to try? Anyone else? Matthew? Go ahead. You could do the whole thing, yeah. That's okay. That's how I feel sometimes up here. I just have to remember it, what I was going to say. Addie, you want to give a try too? Go ahead. Consider others better 
better than yourselves. Come on. Hey, let's give it up for our kids. It's awesome. So that verse is a relationship verse. If you didn't catch that. Do nothing. Some things? No. Nothing. Out of selfish ambition or for the purpose of glorifying yourself, for the purpose of your own benefit, or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, consider others better than yourselves. And it actually continues in verse four. It says, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others in your relationship with one another. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Your cornerstone doesn't say that, but I added that. That is what we're called to church. And that's just one piece of Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, how he aligns us in relationships so that we can actually make it together as a church and in the world. We're meant to represent this reality to the world, church. And this is one verse, and we're gonna spend the rest of the fall probably going through all that God's calling us to in relationship and how to relate with one another, and I'm so excited for that. And there is, you know, um, when we follow and model our lives after Jesus, our cornerstone in his kingdom, the world will not only experience a kingdom like they've never experienced, but they're gonna experience the presence of God made visible and tangible through, tangible through each one of you in all the spheres of influence that you go. All right, so next up, we are members of God's household. So it says this, it says, but we are fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So what does that mean for us? Yes, it means we're members of God's household, that we're given access into the Father's house. So we have access to God. That's amazing. But along with that, I'd say as equally important is this idea. One commentator said that we are members of a household, that we're not the only members of it, that we have brothers and sisters alongside of us. There's this idea of, uh, of uh, philadelphos is the word for the, for the kind of love that he's talking about, which is brotherly love or sisterly love or love among siblings. There's this affection, care, and support that we as the people of God are meant to give to one another. It says in 1 John 12, it says, yet to all who did receive him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. That you are children of God brought into his family. And I think there's a lesson for us here. I don't think it's any, it's, there's any reason, I don't think it's any mistake that we're called God's divine family. And sometimes what are some of the most difficult relationships in our lives? Familial relationships, right? They can sometimes be very difficult to navigate. Sometimes they're awesome. And sometimes they're very difficult. And I think there's a reason for that. Perhaps this is the place where what we're truly made of is tested and comes to the surface. This is, I think, I forget the reference right now, but out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth, what? Speaks. And I, I tell you what, some pretty unseemly things have overflowed out of my mouth towards my family, frankly. Is anyone in that boat? Yes. And it's so hard sometimes to rein it in. 
So our cornerstone, though, Jesus has another way. As sisters and brothers in the Lord, our call is to be a family with the same level of commitment as we have for our earthly families. What's crazy is that those are sometimes the most difficult relationships in our lives, right? And yet we still go see them at Christmas and Easter and all the holidays. Like, if that was someone in the church, you'd be like, deuces, like I'm out of here. There's no way I am sticking around for this craziness. But with our family... We're like, well, it's my family. That's afraid, you know, it's like, what am I gonna do? How can I change this? I would like to submit something to you. Your church family is the same. Period. But no, no exceptions. And I mean this church. If your level of commitment toward life and vulnerability with people in this church was the same as those relationships, you would have, <laughs> there's a level of vulnerability, and, and some of us have done that. And I want all of us to run after that goal together because when we do, there is life on the other side like you wouldn't believe and freedom for yourself as you walk through conflict in community. So over the last two months, I've had opportunities to be part of two different conversations that were very difficult to walk through, conflict conversations that were very uncomfortable, frankly, didn't, wasn't looking forward to either of them. But afterwards, looking back, man, I can go, that's amazing what God does when we have humble hearts that are teachable and willing to, to count the other person's needs as more significant than their own. I saw it happen in both situations saw somebody share something that the other person didn't know and oh, I didn't realize that. And they shared something and then back and forth and realizing that they were both just un- misunderstood and they needed to understand one another. And realizing that in this, man, there's something divine that happens when conflict is resolved. I think Joe might have said that last week. There's something divine, there's something beautiful that takes place when the people of God walk out life together like Jesus called us to. All right, I'm gonna move on because I'm running out of time. So, um, you know, it's so easy to like my son Lachlan when it comes to church family, to feel like I've been burnt before, I, don't, I hate the water now. I don't want to go back in. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just sit on the, It looks fun up there. I can have a slice of watermelon. I can have a popsicle up with my mom. I can sit there. It's comforting. I'm in the warm sun. I'm not uncomfortable in the water. But if he foregoes that, think about the years that he's just given up on something that's just this truly amazing experience. And, we, and that's just swimming. Like I'm talking about the kingdom of God. And all that you're giving up, all that God has invited you into, the destiny, the joy, the peace, the intimacy that God wants to give you through community and through being a a member of the kingdom of God, representing his heart to the world. And what's amazing is that's where we're headed, church. That's what he says in the final piece. He says, we are a temple of God's spirit. Verse 20, he says, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. What is a temple? It's a place that hosted the presence of God. And more importantly here, 
We're not going to a temple. God's not located here in this church building, church. He's, he lives inside each of you that's accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He lives inside of you, and when we come together, it's literally like a dwelling place for God. God comes and he's like, I'm setting up shop right here among this people. And that's actually where history is headed. Did you know that? That's where the church is headed. In Revelation 21, it says this. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. It says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully adorned for her husband. And it's, listen here, lean in. It says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no death uh, or mourning or crying or pain anymore for the old order of things has passed away. You know, the goal of being a citizen in the kingdom of God and a member of God's household and a piece or a stone in this building, this temple that God's building is nothing short of union and intimacy with God. It's God's end goal of human history, intimacy with him, and we get to have a taste of it here in the, in the church and in God's kingdom. Isn't that amazing? We will not experience the fullness of it here, but every year, every day I live in, in the divine family of God and in the kingdom of God and as a stone in this living temple, as it says, I think in Philippians somewhere, there's, there's something amazing that God is doing as he's literally forming me more and more into his image and we are hosting the presence of God. That's our call, church. It, it makes me think of my daughter, that, that scripture about wiping away every tear. Whenever my kids are sad sometimes, whether it's something I said no to or whether it's something else that they're disappointed with, sometimes I'll take their face in my hands. It's a very intimate act. Have you ever had someone do that to you? you know, you'd, be, you'd be like, get your hands off me. You know, it's like, it's, it's right up in your business. But, but they, they receive it. And I hold their face and I use my thumbs to wipe away their tears. And I'll go, hey, don't be sad. I love you so much. That's the portrait of what God will be like for you one day and what he's offered to you now in the church and in relationship with him is that level of intimacy. Are you craving intimacy? Are you craving to be known? Church, that's, is this feast that's spread before us. This is why we must look to Jesus as our cornerstone. He's the one that aligns us and brings unity in the church so that we can actually walk this out. Amen, church? And that verse that we shared, the children's ministry verse, like that's just one example of something that Jesus does to help orient us among communities so that we can walk out healthy relationships. And there's so many more about conflict and honoring one another and all these different things that's literally like learning a new way to, to, to walk, to move, to locomotion, to, to move to some, I don't know what the word, ah, trying to think of the, that tense of the word. But anyways, there's, there's, God wants to teach us something new that we've not known. And if we keep trying the same things, trying to walk in the water as, as we're like sinking, it's not going to work. We've got to learn a new way of being. So how do we respond? I think one of the most profound acts that we can do as followers of Jesus is simply to align ourselves with Jesus, the cornerstone. 
Like, it's simple. It doesn't have to be complicated. Sometimes the, the choices in our life about what God's calling us to or what we need to do or how to take the next step, sometimes it's, it can feel kind of complicated and sometimes we overcomplicate it. And so really what I'd want for, for our response time now, if you can go ahead and stand, the band can come up. I would love for us just to align ourselves with Jesus, our cornerstone, with the help of the Holy Spirit of God. This passage begins with a profound statement that's so easy just to look over. It says, for through him, Jesus, we both, Jew and Gentile, have access to the Father by one spirit. You, follower of Jesus, have access to the Father through the Holy Spirit of God. So as the band begins to play, I just wanna take a moment just to open our hands and say, Holy Spirit, is there anything in me that is wayward that doesn't align with you in my life? insofar as I am a citizen in the kingdom of heaven and not a citizen of this world, insofar as I'm a member of God's defined family and not, a member, not chiefly a member of, of my own family, not defined by them. God, what in me is not aligned with you, Jesus, and what needs to change? And would you help me change? And one thing I love is that the Holy Spirit is kind and patient. If I can get our prayer and prophetic team to come up as well, if anyone needs prayer for any reason, one of the... When we come forward and we share something, it's not like us getting you to come up and publicly confess and we feel like we've won. Like, I have no interest in seeing how many people come up to, to pray, genuinely. Like, but if, if that's a step for you is just to share with another human, another person that loves Jesus, here's, how, here's what I'm going through. Here's how I'm feeling. This is what this has been like. Man, God wants to hear you. We wanna hear you and we wanna support and love one another, amen? Amen. If you have any kids in kids ministry, uh, any young, uh, early childhood kids, just ask parents to go and grab those as we just spend time in ministry. You're welcome to bring them back in here uh, as we continue in worship. So I'm just gonna pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much for who you are, God, and for how much you've loved us. Father, thank you that you've given us a new society, a new humanity, a new way of living. God, that's wholly different from the world that's wholly different from our own families of origin. And God, you've given us this new reality in order to help us to live in such a way that not only we get to experience the most joy, the most freedom, who, what it is to really truly live like a human being, like you live, Jesus Christ, who the only one who is truly human, who lived as we were intended and created to live. God, we just ask that you would help form us and shape us in this time. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us and reveal anything in our hearts? God, you're so kind and so patient and so good. We open ourselves up to you, the great physician. And it's in your name we pray, amen.